0: If you have a Bible, please turn with me back to the passage of Scripture that we read together earlier, Luke's Gospel and chapter 7. Luke was a doctor and he carefully compiled uh, these accounts for us so that we might have evidence that we might know the certainty of who Jesus is. Now just over a week ago I was uh, watching the news, I was sat at home, I had a cup of coffee in one hand, I had a custard cream biscuit in the other and rather than dunking it because my wife was sitting next to me uh, I decided to pay attention to the television news and they were reporting live from two events in London. There were two ...large crowds at these two events. But they were gathering for two very different reasons. One of them had met on Horse Guards Parade. And there was so much colour, so much noise, so much joy... ...of the trooping of the colour... ...to commemorate the Queen's official birthday... So we saw everyone in their fine clothes and big smiles on their faces. But then the television news went live to another big crowd a few miles away in North Kensington. That crowd wasn't happy. That crowd was quite sombre. You see, they were gathering as a vigil to remember those who had died in the Grenfell Tower disaster two large crowds meeting for two very different reasons did you notice in the reading that we had earlier there were two large crowds and they were both meeting for two very different reasons in verse 11 we read of a large crowd following jesus And then in verse 12, we read of a large crowd that were following a funeral procession. One of those crowds was joyful. No prizes for guessing which one. They were joyful because they'd just witnessed the Lord Jesus performing a miracle. He'd healed the centurion's servant. But the other crowd was somber because they had just witnessed and experienced someone dying. (coughs) One crowd was excited to see what Jesus would do next. The other crowd were mournfully wondering what this widow woman would do next. So in verses 1 to 10 of that chapter there that we read together, we can see just why that large crowd had followed Jesus down from Capernaum. Verse 2 told us that a Roman centurion had a servant who was very close to him and he was about to die. That's how ill he was. But we saw there in verse 3 that the centurion was well respected by the local community even though he wasn't a Jew. And so we see the religious leaders of the community going to Ask Jesus on his behalf to come and help. And Jesus goes towards the house and as he approaches the house we see there that he is met with astonishing faith from this centurion. He said, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. The religious leaders had said he deserves you to come and help. He is worthy of this because he loves Israel. He's even built us a synagogue. But here is this centurion humbly acknowledging, I am not worthy that you should even come under the roof of my house. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant shall be healed. Remember, these weren't. The words of a Jew, they were the words of a Gentile, which prompts Jesus to turn around and address the crowd that's following him. In verse 9, he said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That's where you would have expected to find the faith. And so the faith of this centurion is rewarded. Those who had been sent to Jesus return to the centurion's home and find his servant well again. A miracle performed by Jesus. He hadn't even got to the centurion's house. He would performed this miracle remotely and made this servant well again. He had the power to do so from a distance. So no wonder the crowd of people that we read of, in verse 9, has now grown, in verse 11, to a large crowd. And as this excited crowd follows Jesus and his disciples down from Capernaum, they enter the city of Nain, or come to the outskirts, I should say, of the city of Nain, where they meet this other large crowd, this sad crowd, in a funeral procession. Now, it was the custom in Jewish towns and cities that they would bury their dead outside of the city walls so that there would be very little contact with anything associated with death. And Jewish custom would mean that they would bury the person the same day. So this bereavement is very raw. It's only just happened. Now, to help us understand what these two large crowds witnessed on this day, we're going to look at this passage under three headings, which I hope you'll remember and think upon. So firstly, we're going to look at the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ. This is a very sad funeral taking place in Nain. We're told in verse 12, That as the large crowd headed by Jesus arrived at the town gate, the coffin was just being carried out. Now, we think of coffins in our culture as an enclosed casket. In Jewish culture, it was more like a stretcher with a shroud over the deceased, sometimes referred to as a bier. But who was it? that was being carried out on this open coffin. Well, we're told, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And so such was the sympathy shown for this woman in her grief that there were many mourners making up this large crowd. And it was typical for the Jews that they would enlist others, even if they didn't know the deceased, to come and help them in their cultural mourning, which was very loud with wailing. And so this was a large crowd following this open coffin. But I want you to notice something. That in this large crowd following the funeral procession, there wasn't a large family present. This lady had already been bereaved. She had already lost her husband, and now their only child had died. So since the death of her husband, this lady would have looked to her son to provide for her, to protect her, and eventually carry on the family name. So can you see why this is such a sad funeral? This lady has lost everything. She is now all alone and very vulnerable in the world. What do you do when you see a funeral procession? It used to be quite common in our country where a funeral procession was going past, people would stop what they were doing. Men would take off their hats as a sign of respect and bow their heads until the cortege had gone past. I suppose nowadays, unless it's someone famous who's being buried, people don't even notice a hearse driving past. But how did Jesus respond to this funeral procession? Look at verse 13 if you have your Bible open. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. When Jesus saw the situation... When he saw this widow, he had compassion upon her. We might say, his heart went out to her. Now, we've heard that expression before, haven't we? If our hearts go out to someone, it's because we've been moved with compassion, with pity, with love, because of some grief or tragedy. And Jesus knew All the trials and all the sufferings of this lady. Just like Sue was testifying to earlier. Jesus knew everything that this lady had been through. He knew all that she was going through. He also knew what she would face as well. But the Lord wasn't indifferent to her. On the contrary, he was moved with compassion. Remember earlier in the chapter, the centurion's servant had been very ill. He was at the point of death, but he hadn't actually died. This lady's son was dead. We'll come back to that in a second. We need to think now something about who Jesus is. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is God himself who was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He is God in human form, as it were. And in Acts chapter 3, Jesus is described as the author of life. He was the one who was intimately involved in creation, the perfect creation that God declared to be very good. Why was it very good? Because a perfect God had created it, but also because sin was not present. It was only after sin had entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience that death was experienced in this world. As the Apostle Paul would later write in Romans 5, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So sin has brought so much death, destruction, despair into our world. Death is the ultimate result of sin. And so here is Jesus, the author of life, and he's face to face with the consequences of the fall. The ultimate effects of sin. No wonder his heart goes out to her. Now in Jewish uh, funerals, it was customary for those who were bereaved to walk out in front of the open coffin. And so as this lady is heading this funeral procession, she is the first one that Jesus will meet. In his compassion, the Lord says to the grieving widow, do not weep. Don't weep. Don't cry. Now these weren't inappropriate words, as it might be if we were to say that to someone at a funeral. His compassionate words, do not weep, were not to trouble the lady, but actually to comfort her. Because what she and these two large crowds were about to witness was the author of life reversing the effects of the fall so let it be a consolation to us tonight that Christ knows all that we have been through all that we are going through and all that we will face he is not aloof to us his love hasn't diminished he still has compassion and that can be a comfort to us personally Remember how earlier in the chapter the centurion had sent people to ask for Jesus' help? No one had asked Jesus to help on this occasion. Such was his compassion. He took the initiative. His love and his mercy moved him into action. It's a lovely phrase that, isn't it? He had compassion on her, And Luke, as he writes this gospel account for us and other events that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, he uses that phrase, had compassion, on two other occasions. And they're helpful for us to understand a bit more of the compassion of Christ. It's an action word. It's a verb. It's the same compassion that led the Good Samaritan to care for the man dying by the side of the road. It's the same compassion, contrary to Jewish culture, that led the loving father to run and embrace the prodigal son on his return. That's compassion. That's the compassion of Christ. And I need to ask you tonight, do you know something of that compassion? Have you experienced the love of Jesus personally? Well, that brings us to our second point this evening, another C. We've looked at the compassion of Christ. Now we're going to see the command of Christ. The command of Christ. Verse 14, advancing towards the coffin, Jesus reaches out and touches it. Now, this had the effect of stopping the procession as those carrying the beer, the coffin, stood still. This was not an everyday occurrence. People wouldn't normally stop a funeral procession, let alone touch anything associated with death. For the Jews to do something like that, it would render them religiously or ceremonially unclean, which would bar them from being involved in the worship in the temple. They would be spiritually contaminated, as it were. And so they would have to purify themselves. And that would take place over a set period of time. They would have to undergo various ritual washings. And failure to follow these prescribed purification laws would mean excommunication from the people of Israel. So you can see... For a Jew to become religiously unclean would be a very big problem. But what do we see Jesus doing? He reaches out and touches the coffin. You can almost hear the gasp from two large crowds. He's breaking with convention, he's breaking with culture. But everything Jesus did was calculated and ordered this was no accident and so as the funeral cortège stops verse 14 with an authoritative tone jesus speaks to the corpse young man i say to you arise now this command of jesus issued was not a futile one it was backed up with divine power already in Luke's gospel we're in chapter 7 but prior to that we've seen something of the power of Jesus in chapter 4 he cured a man with an evil spirit he cured Peter's mother-in-law who was suffering from a high fever and at sunset various came to him with all their ailments and he healed them In chapter 5, he cured a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. And this is the same Jesus who earlier in our chapter cured the centurion's servant remotely. In curing all of these people, Jesus was demonstrating to us that he had the power and the authority over all of these ailments. He alone. Could cure in this manner because of who he is but this young man wasn't suffering from an ailment was he this wasn't a common cold he was suffering from he was dead he was beyond treatment beyond human help and yet Jesus as God the Son could issue such a command This is the same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness at creation. And now that same voice calls this dead body to life. And then we read in verse 15. Responsive to this divine command. He who was dead sat up. Don't forget, two large crowds are watching this. And if they needed any more proof that this dead body was now living again, he began to speak. It was obvious that this man was alive. And this miraculous sign performed publicly in front of so many eyewitnesses was to further underline the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so having performed this miracle, Jesus presents The young man, back to the same lady, moments earlier, he had said, do not weep. It would have been painful and pointless for anyone else to have approached that coffin and say, young man, I say to you, arise. Can you imagine the distress that would have caused? Because we would lack the power to do anything. And yet Christ has that divine power and authority. He brought life. But Jesus didn't just command with authority. Luke tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus taught with authority. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. And the message that Jesus was preaching was about the kingdom of God, about heaven, about God's family, And this good news or gospel was not just the message that Jesus was communicating to others. Because he was the message. The message of the gospel is bound up in who Jesus is. Because he is the one who came to rescue sinners. He himself would live that perfect life that you and I could never live being free from sin that qualified him to go to a cross and he would suffer the consequences of the fall even though he himself was not guilty of sin. And so Jesus would taste death on behalf of sinful mankind taking God's punishment upon himself as Paul would sum it up later on while we were still sinners Christ died for us. So this account in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, gives us a little glimpse as to what Jesus was on his way to accomplish. You see, this proves to us, and ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus proves to us who he is. That he has power over sin, that he has power over the grave. So two large crowds witnessed the resurrection of this widow's son. When Jesus rose to life the first Easter Sunday, many people saw him thereafter. Many eyewitnesses to testify to the fact he truly lived, he truly died, and he truly rose again. So what does that mean to people like us? That means... For all who would place their faith and trust in this Jesus we can have the confidence that the grave is not the end that having trusted relied upon Jesus we have a home in heaven everlasting life the true believer in Jesus has the wonderful confidence of life beyond the grave Because of Jesus. So in a world surrounded by the effects of the fall, what a consolation, what great hope it is to have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm guessing you've been to a few funerals. I have as well. I'm guessing you've been to some very sad funerals. I've been to sadder funerals than the one we've been thinking about this evening. But I've also been to some Joyful funerals, not because of some irreverence or disrespect to the person who has died. Joyful because it was a Christian's funeral, because they had trusted in Jesus Christ. And they knew in their life that though they did not deserve heaven, Christ had secured it for them by paying for their sins. And so in such a setting as a Christian's funeral, we can be joyful knowing that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The widow's son here was raised to life at the command of Jesus. So how do people like you and I receive this eternal life? Well, it's by heeding the command of Jesus. Mark records that for us in chapter 1 and verse 15. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is saying now is the time to turn from your sin and to trust in him, the good news about him. And those who truly turn from their sins and place their trust in Christ will share in that wonderful assurance of life eternal beyond the grave. Can I ask you tonight, have you responded to the command of Jesus to repent and believe in the gospel? Well, thirdly and finally, we're going to think about the conclusions about Christ. The conclusions about Christ so two large crowds have witnessed a miracle they have watched Jesus in the face of human need break with ceremonial laws interrupt a funeral and raise a man to life that has to have left a deep impression upon those who witnessed it that day Luke tells us in chapter uh, in verse 16 that fear came upon all That's the Bible's way of saying they were amazed. They stood back in awe and wonder. I'm sure you and I would be amazed had we have witnessed that. But then Luke tells us they glorified God. Shouldn't surprise us. These are naturally religious people. They're Jewish. By glorifying God, they recognized the hand of God in this miracle. But notice this that they stopped short of praising the one who had actually done it. There is no mention here, and this is the great tragedy, there is no mention of faith in Jesus Christ as a response. News about Jesus in verse 17, this miracle worker spreads widely throughout the country, because not since the days of Elisha has someone been raised back to life. So what is the conclusion that these people draw concerning Jesus? Well, they say in verse 16, A great prophet has risen up among us. And the crowds go on to say, God has visited his people. In their minds, Jesus had done exactly what two other prophets had done in their history. And therefore, he must just be another prophet. Just another one sent by God. Just another teacher. Just another miracle worker. But I hope you realise tonight that those conclusions stop far short of who Jesus really is. If we were to go in the park just up the road and to ask people, who do you think Jesus is? Can you imagine the responses we'll get? Very similar to what we have in our passage. Many will say, well, he he was a good man, wasn't he? A, A historical figure. Many people will say, well, he was just another religious prophet. He was just a good teacher. And yet, as is true in our passage, these conclusions about Jesus Christ stop far short of who he really is. News had reached John the Baptist about this miracle worker. In verse 19, we're told that John hears about Jesus and what he is doing. John is by now in prison. His job had been to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the one that God was going to send into the world to fix our problem of sin. And so John needed to know, was this the person? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? He needed that encouragement. So John the Baptist sends these two messengers to Jesus. Luke tells us, at that very hour, Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answered and said to them, the messengers, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. They were witnesses. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In his reply to these messengers, Jesus was reminding John the Baptist that the Messiah was going to do these things. The prophet had foretold these things, they predicted that these things would happen. And every single one of these prophecies met their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have to conclude that Jesus is the one that God sent into the world to fix your problem of sin and mine. He wasn't just a great prophet. He was God himself, made flesh dwelling amongst us. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And therefore, he is the only one who can bring you and I back together with God for time and eternity. A further reading of Luke's gospel will give us further evidence to prove that the crucified, the risen, the ascended, the glorified Jesus is the one we must trust for reconciliation with God. But sadly, the crowds here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and on many other occasions, stopped short of a right conclusion about Jesus. That's a tragedy, because without him, without his compassion... We have no forgiveness of sins. We have no peace with God. No reconciliation. No home in heaven. So can you see this evening how vital it is for each and every one of us to reach a right conclusion about Jesus? Three things we've seen in our passage tonight. The compassion of Christ. Have you experienced that personally? That sacrificial love that took him to Calvary to pay for our sins. The command of Christ. Jesus proved he had divine power and authority. And with that same authority, he calls you and I to follow him and him alone. Have you responded to that command? To repent and believe the gospel. And finally, we looked at the conclusions about Christ. Have you carefully considered what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is? Have you reached a right conclusion about him that will lead you to repentance and faith?